<clears throat> We've sung, Holy Are You Lord. And uh, just sense God's holiness here this morning as we've worshipped together. But the amazing thing is, he calls us a holy people. And he's made us holy and he's continuing to make us holy by his grace and by his spirit. That's the amazing thing, that God uh, encourages us to draw near to him uh, because of what he's done in our lives. Wonderful, isn't it? God's working in our lives. Good. Have you all got uh, sermon notes? My usual question. Anybody not got sermon notes this morning? Anybody not got notes? No. Stevie down the front here. Okay. Hmm. Some of you will know that we are um, going to be looking into. Peter's first and second letters that we have in towards the end of the the New Testament. So if you're if you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to the first letter of Peter. I do want to um, kind of talk on but and speak on this in the context of what we're involved in together as a church, with two other churches in the town, which is um, to, uh, a, mission, a passion for life. And um, you've got at the top of your sheets there the kind of headings for our preparation. Pray, engage, prepare. And before Christmas, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, which was part of our preparation for prayer. And we saw there that um, although the Lord's Prayer is something in particular, it also kind of defines the kind of prayer uh, that we should be praying, that we have a relationship with God who is our Father, uh, and that's where we start. It's all about a relationship. It isn't a prayer just to be said by rote, but it expresses a relationship for those who are God's children through faith in Jesus. And now we're going to be looking at other things. And um, um, I've, I've entitled the series um, Strangers on a Mission uh, because you'll notice that at the beginning Peter addresses the, the folks as strangers. And um, although they were particular strangers because they were people who had been scattered through persecution and found themselves in what is now Turkey, um, if, as you go through this, this letter, you realise that we're all strangers. We're all strangers in the world, and I'll, I'll mention that a, a little bit later. But it applies to us as well, that we are also strangers. And um, it's a very practical book. It starts off a bit theological, and there's nothing wrong with theology because it just means the knowledge of God. But like a lot of the New Testament writers, before they exhort us to live a life um, that pleases God, they remind us of who we are. And in fact, unless we know who we are, then it's almost impossible uh, to think about living a life that pleases God and the demands that it puts on our lives. So it's very important. And um, Peter's no different. He starts in this way. Now, some of the topics covered I've listed there at the top of the sheet. Uh, character and privilege of our salvation. That's what we'll be looking at today. And it's very important that we understand who we are, where we are, and where we start from. Challenge to live differently. Christian living in relation to others. Suffering for righteousness' sake. Practical discipleship. Responsibilities of elders. You might find that interesting and want to hold David and I um, to account over those issues that come up there. And humility and endurance. Just some of the things that are covered 
uh, in, in this uh, really excellent letter. And then we'll, um, all being well, we'll move into the second letter afterwards. But today we're looking at the character and the privilege of our salvation. And as we worshipped, it was like we were standing on holy ground. And I trust that as we look at the things that Peter speaks about at the beginning of this chapter, we'll say we are on holy ground. Um, This is amazing, just the amazing things that God has done on our behalf uh, through Jesus. So we're going to read um, 1 Peter 1 verses 1 to 12 under the heading, Know Who You Are. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told by told sorry told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven even angels long to look into these things these are the holy things that even angels long to understand that have been revealed to us by God's holy prophets Uh, and apostles. Let's pray. Father God, we get a sense of the the glory of of this scripture. Uh, Lord, the amazing uh, outcome of our salvation, what you have accomplished in Christ. And Lord, I pray that um, just as the angels marvel, look in and marvel what the Father has done to win children for himself, Lord, I pray that that we will marvel, we will praise and give you glory today for the things that we will think about. Lord, please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we kind of get into the things that Peter wants to say to us, um, let's think about Peter himself, the man and his calling. 
Um, if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, you know that um, Peter was a rough fisherman called by Jesus, um, called away from his fishing activities to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, come and follow me. And um, Peter's quite prominent in the Gospels because he was very outspoken, impetuous, um, very outspoken, often opened his mouth and, as we say, put his foot in it. You know. But he also had revelation as well. And um, Peter was aware that um, being, calling himself an apostle um, was an, an, a matter of God's grace, not about his accomplishments at all. And as we look through Peter's life, uh, we see that. Um, you know that um, at one point, um, his name was originally Cephas, and um, uh, Jesus said, you know, you'll no longer be known as this. You'll be known as Peter, uh, which means a rock. It means a rock. And Jesus went on to say, and on this rock uh, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So very clearly, Jesus was going to be a foundation stone in the church that Jesus uh, was building. Um, and um, and the, the, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So Peter is a foundation stone. And as we follow through Peter's life, and we come to the time when Jesus was uh, about to be crucified and he told his disciples um, what was going to happen uh, and the fact that the disciples would, would run away. They would deny him. And Peter, being very bold, said, well, they might, but I'm not going to. Um, you, you know, you may not be able to trust them, but you can trust me. I'm, I'm with you, Jesus. All right, I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin. Jesus, knowing and being who he was, um, said, "Well, before the morning comes, before the cock crows, um, I'm afraid you're going to deny, deny me three times. Well, the others might deny you, but I won't," he said. But of course, he did, and he was, um, you know, he cried bitterly about that, how he let Jesus down. But um, we come in John's Gospel. Um, there in chapter 21, um, where we, it's often referred to as Peter's reinstatement um, from his, the, where he had fallen to, really. And I think, I was thinking about it, if, if I was Jesus, I might have got hold of Peter and said, now come here, Peter, now you really blew it, didn't you? You know, all those, all those proud words, you really made a mess of it. Now, how are you going to sort yourself out? I mean, I think we'd do that, wouldn't we? But what does Jesus say? Peter, do you love me? Um, well, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. And isn't this the amazing way that Jesus is able to communicate no condemnation? You know, the past is the past. There's no condemnation. The issue is not whether you're going to sort your life out. You know, I'll help you do that, but do you love me? And it's, it's always the issue. And so, you know, his motivation for service is not cold obedience or conformity, but love. And he knows the grace of God. Peter knows the grace of God. And there's a quote there from Paul, another apostle. And he says, By the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, God's grace not only established him, but enabled him to perform the function uh, that he was called to do as an apostle. And I'm sure Peter would have said exactly the same words. I am who I am by the grace of God. And in, I've suggested in one of the questions that we, we look, about, look at um, Jesus' dealings with Peter and what can we learn about God's dealings with us as he dealt with Peter. So we're going to get into the, 
into the passage itself. And um, we find to God's elect, and then a little bit further in verse 2, who have been chosen. Now, if you elect somebody, you choose them. Um, whether you're electing a member of parliament or whatever, it's your choice. So this suggests that these people that are being spoken to and being addressed are God's choice. And I've put a little thing there, free will versus election. Now this may not mean anything to you whatsoever, but there are you know, theological schools that might be in one, uh, 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 one of those camps. And um, free will says... Um, that this is a gift that God has given us. God has given everybody free will. They can choose whatever they want, right? And this is God's gift to mankind. And therefore, people are free to uh, accept or reject God's salvation. That's what some would say. Election says that all in Christ, that's all those who put their trust in Jesus, are the result of God's sovereign choice. It doesn't mean to say that some element of free will was not involved there, but it's uh, the result of God's sovereign choice. In other words, um, you might say, well, is, are you saying God chooses some and not others? Well, I'll leave you to conclude that answer. But the fact of the matter is that we can look at this um, either um, collectively or individually. And I'll use an illustration. If I decide that I am going to... Um, have and own um, the best football team in the, com- in the country and it's going to win all the championships, then I elect to do that. I collectively will have this football team. But then I've got to decide who's going to be in the football team and it's the issue is do I then decide who is in the team? Do I then make a decision? Now, if it's a football team, it's usually on merit. But we know that when God chose us, it was nothing to do with merit because God chose us before the foundation of the world, before we'd done anything good or bad. It's something about God's sovereign choice. And, but some people find this difficult. They say, it's unfair. Um, it's unfair that God may choose some and not others, but life itself is totally unfair. And um, Why did our, my parents send me to Sunday school when the boy next door wasn't sent to Sunday school? You know, that, that not everybody hears the gospel or hears it in the same way. So... If we try and measure things by our earthly fairness, it just doesn't work at all. But let's start from this point. Scripture would indicate that we are not naturally free to accept Christ. In our natural state, there's something that's blocking us, that something is blocking us. And there are just three scriptures here. We could look at others. Um, And um, the, the first one is from Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You're probably very familiar with that scripture. But we could go to a graveyard and we could preach to the dead bodies and nothing would happen, would it? Nothing. We could preach our heart out and nothing would happen. But if we had the power to say, come alive, come alive, we could then preach to them and they uh, would then receive the message. Again, in 1 Corinthians, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Jesus said, unless a man is born again by the Spirit, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in 2 Corinthians The God of this age 
has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. When we look at Jesus, we think how magnificent, how wonderful, but we can present Jesus to people and it doesn't mean a thing to them at all. It means absolutely nothing. They do not see his glory, his beauty, his wonder and so on. But God can reveal it. Now as I say, that sometimes people think, well, I'm not really happy about this. I'm not happy the fact that, that um, you know, I am not free or people aren't free to choose. But um, here's a little question. We, I'm sure that we have all prayed and may be praying now, particularly in regard to this passion for life, we are praying for those who have yet to, to, to become Christians. Friends, relatives, whatever, neighbours. We are praying for them. What is the point of praying for them if God can't intervene in their life? Right? If, if it's entirely down to them, without God's intervention, what is the point of praying for them? I pray to God, God open my children's eyes, open my boys' eyes, that they may see the glory of Christ. You know? It's an act of God that has to initiate this whole process. But I want to leave you, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, we could spend umpteen sermons on it, and if you really feel we want, you want to delve into it in deeper, then we're very happy to do that. But I just want to leave you with this thought, um, whatever, you know, what you believe about free will or election does not affect your salvation, right? It, it, because your salvation is dependent on you putting your trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. What you understand about the process um, is a bit of icing on the cake, really. It's one of those things that God has chosen to reveal to us so that we may stand back in awe and wonder and say, amazing, absolutely amazing that God knew me before the foundation of the world. So we stand back in awe and wonder. It's one of the things that have been revealed, but it doesn't affect your salvation, whether you say, no, I think we've got totally free will, or it's about God's sovereign choice. But it might, as I've said here, it might affect your amazement and joy. Because the apostles are talking to people who are already Christians. They've already made, they've, they've put their trust in Jesus. And he's saying, I just want to tell you what God was doing in the background. What God was doing. I'm pulling back the curtain. I like to use that phrase. But I'm pulling back the curtain and showing you what God was up to, um, to bring you to this point. Right? But they thought, well, I made a decision for Jesus. And somebody has once said, you know, you go through this archway which said, whosoever will may come. Then you, as you've gone through the archway, you look back and it says, chosen from the foundation of the world. To us it seems as if, well, it was all my choice. But God's sovereign will was at work. And, you know, how do people, how do people get elected? It's through the word of truth. It was, I think it was Barbara read a scripture about the word of truth today. I think you did. <laughs> I can't remember where it came from. But, but it's when the word of truth uh, is preached that God uses that to call people to salvation. Okay, let's move on. The Trinity is involved in our salvation. We know the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, but it's our way of describing the fact that God in three persons, he's a, he's a, a God, um, a, if you like, God on his own, and yet he's in three persons equal in standing and yet who have different functions the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit so it's the Father through the foreknowledge of the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience 
to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. It's all three are involved in our salvation. And you notice that we are chosen for obedience. And um, that obedience comes as a result of love. Right? We're not chosen to, uh, to follow a, a set of rules and be conformed to a particular way of life, um, externally as it were. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it's always, the, the appeal is always love. Jesus said, do you love me? Well, how much do you love me? Then that will depend on how, our response to him. And then it kind of finishes this little section by um, our, our cleansing, sprinkling by his blood. If you're not familiar with these terms, it may sound a little grotesque, but whenever the Bible talks about this, it's talking about Jesus' sacrificial death, that he died on our behalf. He shed his blood on our behalf. And that cleansed us. We are cleansed by this act of sacrifice on Jesus' part. I think it's maybe mentioned at the end of this list because it's ongoing. We, we continually need the work of Jesus' sacrifice to cleanse us from all sin. John says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all righteousness. So I hinted at it at the beginning, but whether or not um, we have been forced to live in a foreign land as these people, being strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, we are nevertheless strangers and aliens in the world. This world is now not our home. We are citizens of heaven. Already, we, we, our citizenship has been settled. Uh, we're citizens of heaven. And um, in chapter 2 and verse 11 of this uh, letter, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So this home, this world, sorry, is not our home and our hopes and expectations, uh, ultimate expectations, don't come from there. And of course he rounds off his introduction by saying, grace and peace be yours in abundance. There is more grace, not just grace to save us, but grace to help us live a life that pleases God. Turn over. <clears throat> so the next section then. Worship is our response to God's mercy. Joy is our response to the hope we have in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. So, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find that this term for God is quite used frequently in the New Testament. See, the word God is a bit generic. Isn't it? I think that's the right term. Um, but all sorts of people use the word God. So if somebody said, do you believe in God? You don't really know which God they believe in. It could be something they put on the mantelpiece, um, or it could be a river, it could be a tree, um, it, it could be the creator of the world as the Jews would have, have recognised him. And, you know, if, if we, um, we talk to a Muslim, he may not only use the word Allah, but he'll also use the word God. Um, and he might, to the uninitiated, they will say, well, it's all the same anyway, surely. 
you know, why don't you guys get it together because you're all worshipping the same God. But this particular scripture highlights the difference because as far as Muslims are concerned, Allah, or God, does not have a son. God does not have a son. And yet, for us, God is revealed through the son. God has a son and God and the son is the perfect revelation of God. If Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. You know, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So it's so important. And this is why the apostles say these things. Why they say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens? We have new birth, new life and a new relationship with God. And uh, that relationship is that we can call him Father as we remembered when we looked at the Lord's Prayer. This is the new relationship and it's given to us as an act of mercy. God saw the terrible plight we were in and that we didn't deserve blessings from God. We didn't deserve the things he's given us. But out of his mercy and love and grace, he's given us these things. New birth, new hope, new life, new relationships. Wonderful. And the new life includes future hope, hope that is certain, guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Hope is a word that we use quite commonly, but often not in the way that the Bible uses it. See, I might say I'm hoping to have a holiday this year. Um, It's not certain, it's just an expectation, a desire, a longing to have something. I hope I will pass my exams this year. But when the Bible talks about hope, it is something that is absolutely certain. And it's certain because Jesus has gone through death. Jesus has faced faced death and he has conquered it. And he has conquered it on our behalf. He's the one that's gone before us. He's passed through death. We know that, that he, as it were, was resurrected from the dead and we are promised the same kind of resurrection that Jesus had. And so he is, that's why it's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope because it's a hope in a living saviour. And that's so, so important. And um, this is what Paul says to the Corinthians. But Christ has been raised, indeed, been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That is the down payment, as it were. The first example of what's going to happen to us. He's the forerunner. He's paved the way. He's blazed a trail through death. All right? And we can follow in behind him and know that we will have the same. For since death came through one man, through a man, that's Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, that's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So it's those who belong to Jesus, those who put their trust in him, will be made alive in the same way that he was made alive. Verse 4 talks about inheritance. And I've said here, there is also a cast iron inheritance. That doesn't mean to say you're going to get your grandma's old uh, cast iron stove. Uh, What it means is it's absolutely certain. And um, I don't know if any of you here are expecting an inheritance. You, you know you're included in somebody's will. You don't have to tell me now. But, uh, <laughs> but is it cast iron? Not really, is it? I mean, A, um, they may change their mind. B, they may spend it. Have you seen that on the back of cars? You know, we're, we're enjoying or spending our children's inheritance, you know? 
It's not cast iron, is it? You know, people can be fickle or, and, and change their will, you know, just because you forgot their birthday or something like that, you know. But what we have here is absolutely cast iron. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Right? It's kept there, it's there. And to give a measure of what this inheritance is, without the detail, um, it's the inheritance that Jesus has received. Right? So, uh, there from, from Romans. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So the inheritance Jesus has received, we will receive. I think that's absolutely amazing. You know, you might say, well, Jesus deserves it. You know, he's earned it. We certainly haven't. But, you know, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Uh, in, and we share in his inheritance. The glories of heaven, whatever that is. The glories of the new heavens and the new earth. But it's there, it's kept in heaven for us. God is keeping it there on our behalf. Verse 5. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. God's power and protection are available until our salvation is complete. And the familiar verse there from Philippians. Being confident of this, This is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That God is going to do that. God is going to keep us. But I do want to emphasise, it's not like we're in a bubble. It will be really nice having been saved if God put us in a bubble and we just floated through life without any problems, without any challenges, and just we sail home to our heavenly home. You know, wouldn't wouldn't that be great? (laughs) It's not like that, is it? Because this is quite clear, it's through faith. Who through faith are shielded by God's power. And we must not be passive. If we're passive, we'll miss it. We'll miss what God has made available to us. Faith is a channel uh, of God's power. It's available to us, but we have to take hold of it. And we take hold of it by taking hold of God's promises. Faith is not something in a vacuum. Faith is to do with believing what God has said in his word. And if we're not familiarising ourselves with the promises of God, if we're not familiarising ourselves with the wonderful things that are being spoken of here, that apply to us who've put their trust in Jesus, then we're not going to be able to exercise much faith. And we won't receive the power that God has for us. If you're familiar with Second um, Peter, you'll know right at the beginning, the first chapter talks about God's power. God has given us everything. God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But you'll see that later on it says, because He's given us His very great and precious promises, and through them we're able to escape the corruption of the world. So it's so so important that we know how this power comes to us. And um, the famous section um, about the armour of God in Ephesians 6, many of you will be very familiar with that. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Apostle Paul takes a picture of a Roman soldier with all his armour, different types of armour, and he likens that to the protection that is available for Christians. So he talks about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and feet, you know, good shoes, 
shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And, and then we pick it up from there on. He said, then in addition to all this, that's the things I've just mentioned, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So it is faith that enables us to withstand the onslaught, whether it's from the world, the flesh or the devil. And in most cases, the onslaught is about trying to reduce our faith. It's trying to destroy our faith. And we need to hold up this shield. But notice, God isn't holding it up in front of our face. It is, you take it up. You hold it up. Right? You take the shield of faith. Right? Uh, and, um, and you're able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So it's so important that we're not passive when it comes to the thing that God has provided. There is power by trusting in the word of God. There is power available to us and it will see us through to the end. Verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Assurance of faith in times of trial uh, and suffering, they bring glory to Jesus. Now, I've already said that I think that probably um, Peter is addressing people whose main problem is that they're being persecuted. They've, they've been kicked out of their own country. Maybe it was part of the persecution that took place in Jerusalem and they've been just scattered. They're now amongst alien people, as it were, people that are not their own, and there's some kind of persecution. Probably not severe persecution, like we talk about the folks who are going through today, um, being imprisoned, tortured and, and often killed, but probably just ostracised, being outcast from their community, all right? which... It's possible sometimes that we might experience, but he does talk about all kinds of trials. So I think it's reasonable to say that anything that bugs us, anything that affects us, we can put into this context. So I've, I've talked about persecution here, but temptation, distress, even illness, all right? Things that can drag us down. When we're feeling really ill, often our faith seems to be shaken as well. We think, well, if I'm ill and I'm at home, I can read the Bible all day. But when it actually comes to it, we don't actually want to read the Bible because we're feeling a bit rough. <laughs> it actually comes to it, doesn't it? But, so I think we can include that. And um, what it's saying is that um, you know, standing strong in these times brings glory to Jesus. Um, it's a time maybe of testing. Remember when we looked at the Lord's Prayer and we came to, um, Lord, lead us not into temptation... Um, another translation of that is do not put us to the test um, because um, we recognise that God may allow some testing in our lives. He allowed it in Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus, right at the beginning of his ministry, having been full of the Holy Spirit, was then taken by the Spirit into the wilderness. But we notice that after this testing, he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it, it was proving, it was proving him uh, as the Son of God. And I don't believe that God puts dreadful things in our way. But life is difficult, just generally, and I believe God allows some of these things uh, in order to prove us and to test us. I've given a little quote there from one of the commentators, Alan Stibbs. I think it kind of sums it up a little. In God's eyes, such 
true, true faith is more precious than pure gold, which similarly has its genuineness tested and demonstrated by fire. For when Jesus is publicly manifested as God's Christ for all to see, what will win his approval and reward and bring complimentary glory to him will be the accompanying disclosure that, in the face of darkness and pain, of earthly circumstance and opposition, his people have trusted him as God's Christ and proved his power to guard them and fill them with joyful hope. So it brings glory to Jesus. The fact that we choose him, we choose to put our trust in him when the odds are against us. When we're tempted, we say, I, I will choose Jesus rather than go with this temptation. And that brings glory to him. But I've suggested after that that, that um, we, as well as God, need to know that our faith is genuine. It can help us. Um, if, if we think about it, um, where there are um, particular products or components that are crucial to people's safety or our safety, we want to know that they're tested, tried and tested. If I'm a plane maker and I'm going to hold the wing of an aircraft on with this high tensile steel bolt, uh, which David knows all about, um, uh, that um, I want to know that it's been tested. I want to see the test report. I want to know that, that this is the genuine article. Um, that it's got a factor of safety of 10 or whatever the case may be. Um, and so that is true of us. Now, maybe for most of us, um, we don't go through the trials and difficulties that some of our brothers and sisters are experiencing around the world. I have to look at my life and say, although there was a period when I had a breakdown and, and life was difficult, but generally um, I have a fairly easy life, relatively speaking. You know, that... that, that there's some money in the bank, I have a house, I have a family, I have all these kind of things. And I have to ask myself, is my sense of well-being because of those things or because I'm trusting in Jesus, because I'm looking to my eternal salvation? What's giving me this sense of well-being? And sometimes God allows that to be tested. Um, and um, it's for our benefit as well. So I come through that and I say, when those things were taken away... I knew I still had God. I knew, I knew God was there. God helped me in that time. And now I know I can face anything because God helped me. So testing is not always a bad thing. Love for and faith in the unseen Jesus, verse 8, resulting in glorious joy. Maybe we'd all love to see Jesus. We, if we close our eyes, we... See those Sunday school paintings of Jesus with blonde hair, don't we? Most unlikely, <laughs> being a Jew, but we do, don't we? But maybe we would love to see Jesus. And um, uh, Thomas, we know, um, often called Doubting Thomas, but he did become Believing Thomas in the end and worship Jesus. But he said, didn't he, when the other disciples had seen the resurrected Jesus, and yet, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and put my finger in his side, I will not believe. All right? And Jesus um, appeared to him and got him to do that. But then we have the words that are printed here. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus said, you can be happy even when you have not seen me. Because we come to know him through God's revelation, through the scriptures and through prayer. But 
We also have this anticipation, this joy of anticipation. We do not see him now, but assuredly we will see him later. That is the promise given to us. We will see Jesus later. There is a saying that anticipation is greater than realisation. You know that saying? Um, it, it can work like this. I'm going to have a holiday next year and I've got all the brochures and I've been poring over the brochures. I've got the travel guide. I know exactly where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. I've got the map. I know the attractions that are in the area. Can't wait for this holiday. But sometimes when the holiday comes, and well, it's all right, but maybe it wasn't, didn't really live up to my expectations. And that can sometimes happen. But that's not so with us. We may have joy in our expectations about Jesus, but we cannot imagine what that is going to be like. It will far, far exceed our, our, our imagination. You know, far, far exceed our imagination. And um, John writes, Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. All the things that hold us down, our sin and other things, will all be taken away. We shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Right, I must move on quickly. Time is always racing away. Our goal defines our joy. Uh, it says, though you have not seen him. And then it says, for you are receiving, you're in the process of receiving, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You might ask ourselves, and I've asked it in the, one of the questions, what's the goal of your faith? What's your goal? Now, we may have short-term goals that are quite legitimate. My goal is to, to share the gospel with somebody this week, this, you know, or whatever. We may have short but what is our ultimate? Is our ultimate goal a realisation that our salvation will be complete, uh, that not only will we be saved from sin, but we will be given new glorious bodies to live in the new heavens and the new earth. Is that, a, is that a realistic goal as far as we're concerned? Because I'm sure as far as Peter was concerned, it was part of the joy that they had. And there are some scriptures there which you can look at. I'm going to leave those with you and just to finish off as we, we turn over up to the next page. But there's some scriptures there which make it very clear that we have been rescued um, from God's wrath through Jesus Christ. We've been rescued from his wrath and that's something that should motivate us uh, and um, give us great joy as we anticipate the completion of God's plan in our life. So verses 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. I think Peter wants us to just just grab the wonder of this fact. The promises to Abraham are our promises. We are the fulfilment of God's promises to Abraham. God's promises of salvation, all the way through the Bible, we are the fulfilment of those. And we are included in God's great cosmic plan of redemption as a fulfilment of the prophetic word. And there's um, a scripture there from Acts where 
uh, Peter is putting into context what was happening on the day of Pentecost, how those thousands of people were coming to Christ and being saved. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days, that's the days of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with our fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring all the peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, that's Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So we are the fulfilment. We are the fulfilment of God's promises. And we just need to grab hold of that. Little old me, little old you. We are fulfilment of God's prophetic promises. And the important thing, as I said right at the beginning, is knowing who we are. And just that phrase, even angels long to look into these things. We have been shown things that maybe even the angels don't understand because we're God's children. they're, They're God's messengers, God's servants. We are God's children. And God has revealed some things to us through the, the, the apostles and prophets that should cause us great joy uh, and, um, and, and excitement as to who we are. So knowing who you are, get ready. Because that's the next verse, all right? Get ready. Okay? And that's what David's going to begin to deal with next week. But it's important. It's no good getting ready if we don't know who we are. You know, really, isn't it? It's like, like Steve, you know, somebody said, you know, get ready with your bandages and stretcher. And you say, well, who am I? You know, um, anyway, you're a paramedic, <laughs> all right? You've got, to, you've got to know who you are. You've got to be confident of who you are in order to go and do the job. And that's true for us too. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for explaining to us and showing us the wonders of our salvation. Lord, we could just keep on looking and looking and just seeing more truth every time we, we look. But Lord, I pray it won't be an academic exercise, something that we can just um, share with others and give talks on, but it will actually confirm, Lord, our confidence, the confidence that you have in us because of the work that you've done in us. So Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, help us now to live lives, Lord, in accordance with what you've made us to be in Jesus. Amen. Good, thank you.